Sean is a serial entrepreneur and venture capitalist and the co-founder of GrowthX and GrowthX Academy. He has successfully grown dozens of early stage companies across a wide variety of products and markets. He is now committed to working on building startup ecosystems and developing the next generation of leaders for the innovation economy. Sean and I discussed some strategies for navigating through tough times like these with COVID-19 and talk about how CROs like you and me can deal with companies asking us to optimize when there isn't even a product market fit. My name is Gideonse and welcome to Zero Cafe, the podcast where I show you the behind the scenes of optimization teams and talk with their specialists about data and human-driven optimization and implementing a culture of experimentation and validation. This episode of Zero Cafe is made possible by our partners SideSpect, ContentSquare, Convert.com and Online Dialogue. So Sean, welcome to Zero Cafe and thanks for having us in your lovely garden. Uh, I noticed on your LinkedIn that you do a lot of stuff. So how would you describe what you do? So personally, my background is I'm a serial tech entrepreneur, a venture capitalist, um, uh, educator, um, and now I spend most of my time working on um, building content and curriculum for the GrowthX ecosystem of startups, accelerators, um, incubators, uh, students, yep. and, and businesses that leverage the GrowthX Academy to reskill and upskill their workforce to work in tech uh, and generally help build startup ecosystems around the globe, working with countries and companies on everything from commercializing new innovations to, to bringing the best of Silicon Valley to where they are to help develop economies and create jobs and, yeah. and uh, eliminate the, the brain drain and uh, seeing their top talent leave their markets and, and come to Silicon Valley when they can stay home close to their customers and their families. Mm-hmm. And uh, so besides working in your lovely uh, garden right now, uh, how, how has COVID-19 impacted uh, your business or your client's business? Well, it's interesting. You know, I kind of have four different constituencies. And, and the first is the startup community, you know, uh, yeah. three different portfolios of over 43 companies. And, and they're all very much focused on capital right now, uh, either uh, raising it, making it or conserving it. So it's very stressful for the early stage companies that are very fragile. Um, so we're working with them on tactics and strategies to conserve capital, you know, increase their runway and figure out ways of generating revenue now under these conditions. Um, there's our, our corporate clients that are all in triage mode. They're not thinking about innovation. They're thinking about survival for the moment. They're trying to just adjust to the work from home economy. Um, they are um, thinking and asking questions in the meantime about what the future might look like for the next six to 24 months and how this is overall going to impact and change their business. Our government clients are still moving forward, um, trying to figure out how best to support their systems. Um, and then there's just the community at large, which is um, folks like yourself that are reaching out for um, thought leadership and content and so I'm doing two to three interviews, podcasts, articles, webinars almost daily, when normally I would only do one or two a week. Um, yeah. uh, I've got a house full of college-age kids that are all taking their classes online and feel like I'm running a dormitory. 
<laughs> but um, but everybody's being impacted, you know. And there's there's prefer- there's sort of you know there's the personal and the professional, really. Yeah. You know, how do you respond as a person to these kinds of situations? Um, number one, and then number two, professionally, what do you what do you do about that? Um, personally, um, I think you know the, the rules of life kind of just remain the same, which is it's not how you act; it's how you react when things are difficult that really define you. Um, and, um, I'm encouraging everyone to, um, go back and, and, and rethink, reimagine, and possibly even reinvent, reinvent everything about themselves and their lives and the things that they care about. Start with your core values and your physical needs, um, and work your way out to what's best for you, your family, your community. Um, there's never been a better opportunity. I don't think in my lifetime, and probably like you, you know, I've been through many of these crises all the way back to 1987's economic collapse through the dot bomb and dot com era through 9-11, which I think this is most similar to in, in, in that it's going to permanently change a lot of, uh, of things about how we interact and go through the yep. world. Um, and, and of course the 2008 economic crisis. And, um, so I think it's a great opportunity for everybody to take stock of their life. Think about yep. the things that they care about. Um, maybe get more focused back on on the things I think that matter most, <laughs> which are, <laughs> you know, your own personal, individual health and well-being, and that of the people closest to you. Yeah, is it also something that you see uh, those those startups do, or or do you see new startup initiatives focusing on that side? Um, I'm uh, startups are typically groups of very small teams, right? And because they're small mm-hmm. teams, you're really dealing a lot more intimately with the individual psyches of the people than you are necessarily their product and their market in these instances. So there's a lot of coaching, a lot of mentoring, a lot of support that uh, that's very similar to, to the personal aspects of it. Um, but yes, it, once we get past and through that, then it's time to get creative, right? It's time to it's time to use this time to figure out how to stay on the field long enough to, to survive this. Because I don't believe that it's the strongest that survive in these ty- kinds of situations where we're not talking about, you know, moving humans through force, right? Uh, or, or violence or, or war in a traditional sense. I think the ones that are most resourceful will survive. That doesn't necessarily yeah. mean have the most resources, but be the most resourceful. Can you open yeah. your mind up to disruptive and new and interesting and different ways of thinking, uh, of creating, of actively listening to your market to find ways that you can solve immediate needs for them right now? And that's particularly challenging for, for companies in the nice-to-have worlds or the nice-to-have markets, you know, where, where something isn't a genuine need, but it's more of a want. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, and whether they do, whether they pursue that industry because it's their uh, it's their passion or their belief or their expertise or whatever motivates them, the reality is is that in economic, you know, times like these, the the, the nice to haves are usually the first thing to go. So so how do you how do you operate in that world? You know how do you stay alive during these times? Um, yeah. And so we're having. Yeah, as so I understood that uh, the uh, bread making machines are high high on the list for uh, must haves. And uh, things like bathing suits are high on the list of uh, nice to have. <laughs> no, That's no right. One's I mean, we're talking suits about anymore. physical needs, right? <laughs> Everything begins and ends yeah. with physical needs in these kinds in these times. Yeah, 
And uh, interesting. So you say um, uh, it's about how you react um, and and how resourceful you are as a company. Are there any examples that you see around you, how companies uh, that maybe surprise you, how resourceful they are and what they do uh, during these times? Yeah, I mean, I can talk about some, without naming names in, in, in my own portfolio, my own world. Um, we've got some companies that are thriving as a result of what's going on because they, they, they provide technologies that, that are really around, you know, uh, distributed work environments, live streaming, for example. Um uh, or they might be in the in in the modern e-commerce mail order kind of subscription businesses um, and last mile delivery services. Um, the ones that aren't in those worlds are, are really I'm, I'm teaching them how to reorient themselves around key problems that their customers have right now that they might be able to solve regardless of whether or not they have a product to solve it. So can they take on a service mindset and uncover mm-hmm true needs that they can solve for right now because they know it well or they have the bodies to to do work for somebody that doesn't necessarily otherwise have the budget to do anything that would be a fixed cost rather than a variable cost? Or how can they help their corporate clients through these triage uh, moments that I'm talking about? Where in the C-suite, they're talking about two things. All right, how do we keep our, how do we keep our employees... Um, around and productive and paid, minimize the pain and mitigate the risk um, while rethinking what life's going to look like when we come out of this. And what can yeah. they do to contribute to that? It's really, it's really about having a sound market and business acumen around the, the area that you serve and then taking on that human-to-human approach of what can I do to help you right now? Online Dialogue is al tien jaar een toonaangevend CRO-bureau waar mensen, kwaliteit en kennisoverdracht centraal staan. Ze zijn een specialist omdat ze zich alleen richten op optimalisatie en klantgedrag. Het team zorgt voor online groei en waardevolle inzichten in je bezoekers en optimaliseren samen met jou de verschillende onderdelen van je CRO-programma zoals websites, salesfunnels en customer journeys. Voor meer info ga je naar onlinedialogue.nl Have you already seen companies completely uh, missing out on this or, or missing the boat on, on how to handle this? I do. I see a lot of companies in in panic or immediately taking knee-jerk reactions of cutting everyone and everything. Um, yeah. I see them not providing, you know, psychological, mental, emotional support to their people the way that they should. Um, you know, it's times like the crisis is when you always see this, right? You see leaders you know the right kinds of leaders emerge and the wrong kinds of leaders sort of uh pardon the french here but show their ass yeah Uh, (laughs) and and when you when you see that you see you see a direct impact um i had a conversation yesterday with a very dear friend who is a very senior c-level executive in one of the largest tech companies in the world and certainly in the Valley. And we all know the name and I'm not going to name it uh, because you could probably narrow it down to about five or six companies, but we'll leave it there. And he's struggling um, with the fact that he is a, he's a manufacturing, hard charging, very direct, blunt person. Um, And he's always run production environments that are operated that way. And now he's got people freaking out and he, that, The fact that they're freaking out frustrates him 
and his frustration is coming out because he's the kind of person, probably a lot like me, where when you're down, you just get more focused and intent and determined. Um, And a lot of people aren't like that. In fact, most aren't. So he's frustrated easily with those people, and he's he's, uh, expressed that frustration publicly, and it's caused real problems. And now he's trying to figure out how to deal with it. A lot of it is him learning how to grow in that area of his life and not react quickly. A lot of uh, leaders and and, uh, managers, I I imagine, uh, need a whole different skill set these these days that they're not used to using or having. They do, because everybody, I mean, for many of them, you know, it's been good times for close to a decade. Yeah. You know, economically speaking, even though, depending on, you know, worldview, but for the most part, we've been moving in the right direction economically, commercially for, you know, good seven, eight years. Yeah. So, um, while everybody has their challenges, we haven't, nobody's faced anything like this in quite some time. Uh, and many of the people in the workforce, especially in the millennial generation, haven't experienced this in the workforce. They've experienced it in the household growing up, seeing their parents struggle through the 08 thing. Um, and I think that's shaped a lot of who they are and how they think and their behaviors, you know, why they're not buying houses or getting married or creating fixed liabilities or uh, credit card debt. Um, they're saving money. I'm very impressed with a lot of those things. They experience that. But they haven't themselves dealt with this kind of scenario. Am I yeah. going to have a job tomorrow? Um, and even if I don't, there's no other jobs and I can't leave my house. You know, all of those things together, it's a real challenge. Yeah. So leaders, managers, anybody who's, who's responsible for anyone else, they need to step up right now. Uh, and they need to um, reassure people. They don't need to blow smoke, but they need to reassure people that we've been through these things before in our history. We, this too shall pass. We will get through this. And I know that days feel like months and years sometimes, but we'll come out the other side of this. And one of the reasons I'm encouraged by it is, is our economic crisis right now is self-imposed. This isn't driven by a, a weak market. Yeah. There's strong demand out there. Exactly, yeah. And I think that demand will come back. Certainly, the longer we're in this situation, the more challenging that will be. But but I do believe that there is pent-up demand out there. It will come back. I just saw some data yesterday um, that, you know, uh, cruise ship bookings in 2021 are on the rise in the last <laughs> few days. Yeah. And so that, so who takes cruises? That's yeah. baby boomer generation people. And they're typically pretty conservative. And if they're starting to see that things will, will be quasi back to normal by then, then that's a good sign. Yeah. And after, after things are over, I can imagine that a lot of people are, are, well, will try to make up for things. That's right. Like taking an extra cruise, extra holiday. or Yeah. And I think also I'm already seeing people uh, on the corporate side, corporate officers and some major financial institutions are realizing, like I have one really good friend who's a C officer. I have two good friends at two of the largest banking financial services firms in the world, two of the top five. And both are seeing the same thing. They're both been very pleasantly surprised with their ability to triage their way into a distributed work environment within weeks. Their activity is through the roof on top of it because everybody's moving money and dealing with the situation. Um, 
And then on top of it, they're actually seeing productivity in the work from home environment uh, be much better than they expected. And now they're having conversations about, do we really need all this office space in downtown, in midtown Manhattan, <laughs> exactly, right? Yeah. Uh, in downtown yeah. San Francisco. Um, people are getting along fine. I mean, they're, they're, there's still people emotionally and mentally ready to crack. Don't get me wrong. Um, and great leaders are aware of that and they're in tune with that. They have a high emotional intelligence and they're, they're addressing it and they're engaging people in ways um, that they hadn't before. I just had a conversation yesterday with a good friend of mine who's literally running his two-day offsite that's scheduled every year. He's running it virtually. They're going to behave as if it's a thing and they're still going to do it because people need it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you, you spoke about this uh, on another podcast too. So if, uh, uh, if people are interested in that, uh, the Marketing Trends podcast, uh, you spoke about strategies for navigating uh, through tough times. We'll definitely link to that one uh, in the show notes. Um, so shifting topics a bit, uh, what I often see uh, is that when companies start with optimization, uh, what this podcast is about, of course, uh, uh, zero, um, I, I see that a lot of CROs, people working in CRO, usually... Well, I, th I think it's it's a much broader term. It should be much broader applied. That it's, it's not just optimizing uh, buttons on a website, uh, but it's often uh, the website definitely where it starts, where people start optimizing, of course, because you have the data over there. Um, but when I see a, a lot of colleagues of mine uh, in the CRO world uh, find themselves in a situation that they're, they're asked to optimize uh, a website um, while there actually is, is still no product market fit uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> and i know you've, oh. you've you've spoken about that before so what would you what would your advice be for zeros that find themselves in such a situation so trying to uh, or being asked to optimize something that doesn't actually have a, a product market fit yet yeah so so um well where to start <laughs> you know, we, well, well so there's two ways there's two ways to answer this question so if you're a cro being brought in to an organization where the expectation is that you are to optimize what already exists. That assumes a lot, right? That yeah. assumes that there's standardization already. So I think about it in terms of these, there's this kind of um, four, there's four phases uh, to a funnel. There's, you know, there's ideation, there's creation, there's standardization, and then there's optimization. You got to start with an idea, then you've got to then you've got to execute on that idea, and then find something that's predictable, a la product market fit, in order for standardization to even be a thing, right? And then from there you can start to optimize. Um, now that's sort of a holistic, I'm overly simplifying it, but but that's really kind of how it looks. So if you're being brought into an organization to optimize, uh, and you have and you don't agree that there's standardization yet then you better have that conversation before you're brought in because otherwise you're going to end up with misaligned expectations. And I've got this other formula I like to call F equals E minus R frustration equals expectations minus results. <laughs> right. Yeah. If you don't, if, 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 if someone's hiring you, paying you, uh, investing in you to optimize and it's not ready for optimization, you need to tell them the truth because otherwise you're setting everybody up for failure. And I see that yeah. all the time. I see an overwhelming majority of, of what's called a bad fit hire in, in these environments and early stage companies in particular, where they don't have product market fit, 
being where someone's assumed that it already exists. And oftentimes, the worst culprits are the founders, the hiring teams, not the person being hired. Like, I don't see CROs coming in and selling people on the idea of optimizing something that is, that, that's, that's not ready to be optimized. I see, I see founding teams selling CROs on, yeah, no, we've got all this shit figured out. You just need to come in and optimize every every step and stage and, and exit criteria in the funnel and the customer journey, and the full life cycle, um, and 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 then and then focus on 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 iterating based on that data. Um, when the reality is is that eighty to ninety percent of this time, the stuff is incomplete. There's a lot of there's a lot of leaks. There's a lot of uh, unknowns and things that we thought we knew that we didn't know and. And any CRO who's been who's with any amount of life experience can identify with this, right? It's not what you thought it was when you walked in the door. <laughs> Never. <laughs> and then you've got to do the one step forward, two step back thing. So the question, the, I think the most important question is, is, is you need to do your due diligence as a CRO first. Put your investor hat on. Because I've been an operator and an investor. And what I've learned about being an investor is, is that my operational experience makes me a better investor. And my investor experience makes me a better operator. What do I mean by that? Mm -hmm. View yourself as a CRO, as, an, as a VC. Somebody's asking you to invest your time and expertise and resources in a task or an activity inside of a company. So you better make good gosh darn sure that you are a good fit for the thing not just culturally with the people, but that it's at the right stage and that what you're being told is, in fact, the truth. Um, and so um, I would, you know, I, I encourage CROs to require their own period of discovery before they make any sort of promises about what it is they're going to do, even if it's on a contract uh, basis as opposed to a permanent basis. Um, but if you don't have an opportunity to dig in and understand what the current state of affairs looks like, then you, you could be putting, you know, the entire opportunity at risk. And, and it certainly may not be any fun. So that's the that's the corporate. You know, that's the one where, you know, you're walking into a situation that isn't what you thought it was. Werk je aan een front-end AB-test en heb je ook last van de bekende flikkeringen in je variaties? Dit kan natuurlijk je testresultaten beïnvloeden en een positief testresultaat neutraliseren. Probeer Convert.com's AB-testing software die Smart Insert technologie gebruikt en die flikkeringen voorkomt. Vijf keer snellere support via 24-7 chat, de helft goedkoper en het bedrijf is daarnaast maar liefst 15 keer carbon positive. Je doet dus jezelf, je bedrijf en de volgende generatie een plezier door hun website convert.com slash sneller eens te bezoeken. But I, I do feel that uh, CROs are uh, very well skilled in the, in, the, um, uh, in the ways of finding out, finding out that product market fit. They're already skilled at using, uh, well, looking at a lot of data, using that to optimize experiences, uh, doing user research, that kind of stuff. So how how even as a, as a maybe someone trained or or skilled in in CRO um how can they move forward how can they, how could they still help that company find that product market fit so they've got everybody has to agree number one that product market fit is a thing and that and that and that it's defined by when the resources you have to fulfill demand 
are now um, no longer adequate, um, that, that the entire sales process uh, from, from, um, from the top of the funnel through pricing discussions, through onboarding implementation and use um, start to get a lot easier. Sales cycles shorten. Um, and if you're not seeing that, and you're not seeing a situation where if I just throw more resources at this, this will scale in some, by some measure, um, then, uh, then you haven't gotten to product market fit yet. So number one, you got to understand what it means, agree that it's a thing, define what it looks like for your organization together, um, and then recognize that what you're looking for on the path to product market fit uh, the two most important things aren't revenue. They're time from your market and the truth in the form of that feedback as real time as you can possibly get it. Um, and yes, some of that's certainly touchless data-driven analysis that's, uh, that's looking back. Um, but a lot of it is in real human-to-human -human custom development. I can't tell you how many times I've seen conversion rate guys and girls um, extend their path to product market fit by overusing their tools and their technology and underutilizing the opportunity to have live, insightful, real-time, relationship-oriented feedback sessions with individual users of every given profile and circumstance and channel and method and means uh, and testing and experiment environment that they, you know, that, that's offered to them. And I don't mean traditional focus groups or Google form surveys. Um, I mean, genuine insightful discussions with user interviews that are developed by UX professionals that understand how to do user interviews. You know, if you, ha if you don't know who Laura Klein is, you need to learn. Um, if you haven't read the mom test, you should read it. Um, you need to understand how to ask questions that get you the truth. And if you can do that, you can get there a hell of a lot faster and cheaper than just running people through your funnel. Um, so that's, that's, that's one area that I think is really important. I think the second is, is that I think CROs have to recognize their stage relevance uh, and the people that they work with also have to understand their stage relevance. Are you really good at going from zero to one or are you better at one to N? Um, are you somebody who who's better at some certain amount of traffic or revenue um, with a certain amount of team and resources already in place, or can you create from from day one? You know, can you embrace ideation and creation to get the standardization, or are you more of a standardization and optimization person? Because I think sometimes CROs put themselves in a a bit of a you know um, a corner with the term with with the term optimization. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, and I think, um, you know, it, you can be a CRP just as much as you can be a CRO, which is a conversion rate professional. You leverage what you know uh, how to behave and, and, and what you know how to do around conversion rates um, to get a job done. Um, conversion rate standardization, creation, and ideation are just as important as optimization. Yeah. And uh, so at GrowthX, you you guys have a, a market acceleration program, and that that helps companies find that product market fit, right? Yeah, I mean, it all started about six, seven years ago. Myself and my partners were all serial entrepreneurs turned investors, turned frustrated investors because our companies <laughs> weren't succeeding 
not because they couldn't build products, but because they couldn't build their markets. Mm-hmm. Um, and then right around the same time, roughly, give or take five, five years or so, you had this fundamental shift in the market where it became really, it became cheaper and easier to build and launch products than it ever had been before. I call it the age of applied technology, um, where it's never been easier or cheaper to get products to market. As a result, it's also never been more difficult uh, to get traction for them in the market. Yet most founders were very much focused on their product. And so we just tried to solve our own problem first, which was how do we help our companies find product market fit? So we built a program and a specific methodology that became a private accelerator just for the companies in our portfolio that we call MXP or Market Acceleration Program that's centered around a framework that's designed to do three things. Find the truth about where a product fits in the market if it does it all and what to do about it. Create a functional learning organization out of the team of people responsible for that, recognizing that we have limited time, money, and resources to find our truth. And then ultimately, where's the business model? Can we find predictable, profitable, scalable revenue in some way, shape, or form along the way? And if you can do those three things, you can find product market fit. And we do it across these three traction-based milestones. Um, and they're, all, they're not based on revenue. They're based on traction. And they have very specific goals, focus areas to execute against, and then desired outcomes. But the number one outcome we're always looking for is that truth. And then we're looking for pattern recognition around the truth. So it's an experimentation framework, but it's designed to be for learning. Because revenue comes from getting the time and the truth you need from your market so that you can validate and iterate and pivot if necessary. 80% of funded companies fail in the tech game. And 80% of the reasons they fail have to do with markets and people, not with their products. And so a big part of what we do is try and level the playing field so that the tech people who forever have ruled Silicon Valley in the age of developed technology, which is what it used to be, which is when deep science would win regardless of behaviors because it was very unique and defensible, that in the age of applied technology where it's easy to build stuff and copy things, you have to create market development expertise and focus on that just as much as you focus on product development. And that means conversion rate optimization is a huge part of that. And uh, you also have the the GrowthX Academy. And it's actually something people can can just follow online, right? People can just... uh... Originally, we started with, our, with, with a campus in San Francisco um, mm-hmm. inside of our offices, and people could take fully 12-week, fully immersive programs working on yeah. real projects with real companies in growth marketing, growth hacking, UX design thinking, data science, entrepreneurial selling, uh, and our MXP, Market Acceleration Program. And then the demand came from, glo- you know, from a global audience that we want this and we want it online, so we started yeah. to move everything into a into an online environment. And then we have licensing partners around the globe, governments and accelerators and incubators and other universities that are um, delivering the programming um, in their markets. Sidespect biedt wereldwijd een unieke AB-testing, personalisatie en product recommendation oplossing. Sidespect werkt server-side, dus zonder tags of scripts, waardoor een optimale performance gegarandeerd is. De Sidespect oplossing elimineert vertragingen en kans op flikkereffecten. 
Tevens zorgt deze aanpak ervoor dat de huidige en toekomstige browser security regels zoals ITP en ETP geen impact hebben op het AB testen en personaliseren met Sitespect. Voor meer informatie hierover ga je naar sitespect.com. Ja, yeah, dat uh, also een programma voor for people not necessarily working uh, on zero itself, but also for, for sales and business dev, right? That is correct. It's it, the whole idea is to cover. I want to build an army of market developers, right? I want to build an army of people who can help great product-focused teams find product market fit. Yeah. That's my that's my purpose at this stage of my life. Yeah, so I, I can imagine a couple of CROs thinking, "Hey, I should. I know some colleagues I can send over." Not only that, <laughs> you know, they can they can leverage them as interns. Um, they because uh, they work. You know, seventy percent of their 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 education is experiential. They get to work on real projects with real companies. The, the companies get free help. They the the students get a portfolio of experience, and and there's a big focus on their career and their mindset. You know, the four pillars of the academy are mindset, mastery, career, and community. We want to give people a growth mindset where they can be a learn-it-all and not a know-it-all. Yeah. We want them to know that they can master anything with deliberate intent and practice. We want them to focus on a career that's going to not just be make them happy and satisfied, but be meaningful. And we want to create a community of mentors and companies and employers and, and alumni that will all be there to support them in those efforts. And we think that's the future of education in the innovation economy. Do, do you see more people uh, focusing on, on, on self-development in these times or uh, are people too busy managing their households? <laughs> Boy, I hope they're trying to take some time to develop themselves. Um, it's always been in my natural nature. I'm a voracious consumer of information. Um, and I usually look outside of the disciplines and practices and i look more fundamentally into sort of base human behavioral stuff and try and figure out how to apply that in my craft and i do i, I watch and read and listen and collaborate with all the thought leaders in sales and marketing and ux design and data science and startups and venture and education and i love and appreciate all of it but i also look for you know the thought leaders in genuine genuine human behavior and Trying to learn and understand who we are and how we behave and what we can do to to be yeah. better, because I don't believe that there's a difference uh, in the innovation economy between personal and professional development. If you develop yourself as a person, you're going to develop yourself as a professional. Exactly, it can be any anything uh, you work on, especially during these times. That's right, uh, Sean. Thanks so much. Uh, it was been a, been a pleasure uh, talking uh, to you. Uh, my my final question. So you also do contributions uh, to the Huffington Post. So what's your ne next article going to be about? So I'm working on it now. I'm thinking about, um, you know, what's the big idea uh, is going to be the title. And I'm actually going to be doing a five-part webinar series on it as well for Connections Silicon Valley. If people want to go uh, to Connections Silicon Valley, Google that or go to the website, sign up for the webinar. But it's about how companies can identify the next big idea. Uh, and then execute to find out whether or not if that idea is um, is the right idea to commercialize and monetize. And it's a very practical um, approach uh, towards execution because most innovations fail for the same reasons most startups fail. It's typically a lack of product market fit, and it's typically the behaviors of the team and lack of differentiation and timing in the market. 
And so right now, big companies are all thinking about how can I deliver a, a digital experience akin to my current analog experience in the age of COVID. Um, so we're going to help them figure that out. And that'll be my next piece. Cool. We'll, uh, we'll be linking to that if it's uh, when it's published. We'll add that uh, to the show notes uh, after publication. Thanks so much. Um, I, I would say uh, have a lovely day. Uh, stay safe. Good luck with uh, running um, uh, your student dorm at home. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And uh, uh, talk to you later. Bye-bye, Sean. Sean, thank you so much for the interview. I really enjoyed your garden, our talk, and I wish you the best of luck with all that you do. And that concludes episode 16 of season 2 of the Zero Cafe with Sean Shepard from GrowthX. And as always, the show notes can be found on our website, zero.cafe. Although we start out as a Dutch podcast, we are putting out more and more English content. If you want to skip all the Dutch content, please go to zero.cafe slash English to see an overview of all our English episodes and to subscribe to get notified about new English content. Next week, another English episode where I talk to designer, developer and optimizer Matt Bashel. He runs his own agency, Corvus Zero, and we discuss automating parts of your Zero workflow so you can keep focusing on the fun parts of the job. Talk to you then and always be optimizing.